Before we start the episode, I just want to quick uh, give a shout out to Anchor. It's the app that I use to publish all the episodes for six seasons in a podcast. When I first started uh, doing this podcast and had no idea what I was doing, uh, I picked it uh, based off of some reviews and I just couldn't be happier with uh, growing the audience from just myself talking into a microphone to literally thousands of community fans every week. So uh, shout out to Anchor and check them out if you wanted to start your own podcast. I would love to know about the origins of talking us through the origins of uh, episodes like the basic rocket science, um, mixology certification. That's that's Mm -hmm. pillows and blankets. I can already tell where pillows and blankets, you know, why you were picked for that one. Um, Yes. Easy episode to to lock you in on. But, you know, it'd be great to just, you know, uh, talk through basic rocket science. What do you remember about it? You know, how how was it pitched? Um, And, uh, yeah, go from there. Oh, God. I, um, Neil Goldman was really helpful, like when he, you know, because uh, I think, you know, he was sort of the person who, oh, I later found out actually, uh, want to give credit where credit is due, that um, Chris McKenna actually pl- played a big part in getting me there too. Chris was a, Chris had what it said, told me later, he was a fan of that Negro Space mm-hmm. Program short and that he had wanted to meet me. So thank God. Oh, yeah. God bless you, Chris McKenna. <laughs> Uh, genius yeah. writer. Uh, so uh, Neil uh, Neil had brought me on, and he sort of said, "You know, I think we see you. I, I, I think you'll be doing a lot of punch up here. Like I, we, I see you as like a. We 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 think of you as a strong uh, joke person. Uh, we think that that'll kind of be your role here. You'll mm-hmm. be doing a lot of punch up. But I don't know what I didn't. I'm not sure what that meant. We all did punch up. Um. Uh. But and I don't remember what where the story came from. I didn't. I certainly didn't pitch it. Uh, I think it might have been something that they had been talking about earlier, maybe in season mm-hmm. one, but I just know that it, it came up in the room. I, I think it sounded like it was an idea that Dan had already heard or, or had already been thinking about to do an Apollo 13 parody. Yeah. And as soon as I heard that, I really did feel like, Oh, this is up my alley. And clearly they agreed. I mean, there's not a lot of scrutiny on that staff. There wasn't a lot of scrutiny to like, on most shows, the how they pick who writes what episode is r- very random, or it's, it's not random. It's just sort of based on hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So they'll just take the the crew list, you know, the the list of writers, and they'll go in order of seniority. So the the most senior person will write the first one, and then the second person will write the second one, and then you know the staff writers will write write the tenth or eleventh, and then you'll go to the top of the batting order again. So it's sort of it's you know it's like I don't think I was handpicked to, uh, to write that specific episode, but. It, it did feel like when I got, when I knew, when I found out that was the one I was doing, I was really excited because I thought, of course, I should be doing this one. It's all I ever want to do. Um, and I think Neil and Dan were like, yeah, this would be a good one for Andy to write. Um, and I, I don't remember much. This is the thing. It's like, I've never thought of myself, like only recently have I begun to, ex- have I be- begun to feel comfortable like breaking stories uh, uh, on my own. I never thought of myself as a story person. Um, and so even at, at community, I would often just sort of hang back and let other people 
break stories who who seemed more eager to do it and, and much better at it than me. So I remember talking, I, I didn't do a lot of pitching at, at the initial phase of like breaking that story. Yeah. Or maybe I did. I also don't remember a lot. <laughs> like, That's all right. I told you, I told you, you know, an hour ago that I got sober, but the, my, my dirty secret is that I, I switched my addiction to sugar. Uh, um, and that, uh, I do think there's a lot of stuff that kind of blows by me because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> my, my cognitive uh, function is a little lower from just being spazzed yeah. out on, on, uh, sugar all day. Yeah, I can relate with that one. Um, Oh, but the one thing I do remember about it is like uh, when, you know, uh, er, you sit down, I sit down to work uh, for my first day, my first week in, in season two of Community and the story circle is explained to me. Uh, Dan sort of walks everyone through it. And I'd never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought of stories like that. And I didn't realize, I, I never thought that there was a, a code to um, to telling stories. And there, there isn't necessarily a code, but there's there are several different ways. There, there are some codes that can be applied. Uh, and so the thing I most remember about writing that outline, you know, we had some cards on the board and we, we had sort of worked out the beats without Dan, you know, he, uh, that was the typical process was he would be in like for, he would give us sort of a brain dump of what he thinks the story should be or what elements it should have. He would, then he would go off, then we would try to organize his thoughts and organize our own and, you know, and, and break it into figure out the act breaks and where it fits on the mm -hmm. circle and, and do put cards on the board. And then he would come back and we'd pitch that to him and he would, uh, you know, give more feedback at that. So oftentimes he would be, sometimes he'd be in the room for the whole process and sometimes you'd do a lot of work without him. Um, and then, and then, you know, uh, pitch it to him and get his thoughts. So, and I remember when I pitched it to him, I walked him through it. I remember apologizing because I said, I can't, I'm so sorry, but I don't, I've probably over cards, but I can't, it's like, I don't, I can't picture a story beat until I understand and, until I've got a lot of detail about it. And so I walked him through, it took me probably like 45 minutes to walk him through the whole story, the way we had laid it out. And he pretty much bought the story, but I remember this is the first inkling where I started to realize how the story circle works was that he kept saying, we need to do this by, you know, by the end of the cold open, we need to know this. And by the end of act one, we need to know this. And it's like, he kept sort of hitting targets. He, he was really, really focusing on target moments in the story when certain things had to have been established mm -hmm. or had to have been known. It's like that cold open of that episode is a real info dump. Uh, and it was a problem because it was like, there was a lot of, you had to establish that a, uh, uh, a, um, uh, there's a competition between us and city college over this, um, space simulator <laughs> B they've made more progress than we have C, uh, uh, we're going to catch up by, we yeah. found this old RV that used to be this exhibit. Uh, it's like, there was a lot of information that ends up Dean Pelton just sort of lays it out. And also there was a lot of information in there in early versions of it, where it was like, we really felt it was important to establish the urgency because people have to buy that this parody, you know, for this parody to work, it has to feel as important right. as, as it did in, in Apollo 13. And so we did, all, I remember writing lots and lots of dialogue and lots of lots of, of, of outline about like, you see, if we don't beat them at this, then they're going to get all the city funding and then, and then they're going to end up, 
uh, stealing students from ours and then it'll be a slow attrition and find, and, and it, we were trying to link it sure. to the death of Greendale. Yeah. And I was trying to use logic to create that link. And Dan, you know, one of the many amazing smart things Dan did was realize that that's boring and that we have to find the cleverest and fastest way to establish the stakes. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was one thing that really impressed mm. me was just learning to think like him. Um, which was a long process, you know, which it was a four year journey of learning to think like him. And, um, uh, yeah, gosh. And I do also remember the parody parts of it. I felt very confident doing, uh, that was, that was sort of my, my wheelhouse. I've written a lot of sketches like Mm -hmm. that and, you know, where something is, is equivalent to something else that you've seen before. And so those parts I sort of, um, felt confident doing, but, uh, but yeah, the structure parts, and I think one thing that critics called us out on that I agree with was that we our reveal in that episode where it was like Annie who sabotaged them. It was, I wouldn't say we flubbed it, but it was, it was not the best. Um, it was, it was not, it, it felt a little tacked on. Mm. Um, uh, it, 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 it didn't ring true for everyone. And it was because I, I guess if you were to really go and tell the story of Annie, almost considering leaving Greendale, um, you would probably want to see it from her. You would probably want to watch those things happen. So to have that sprung on the audience at the last minute in act, you yeah. know, at the end of act two, like, no, I, I'm going to city college. Uh, it was, I think it broke some people. I, I think it broke our trust a little bit. It wasn't a failure of an episode at all. It was a, it was yeah, a great one. Yeah, but yeah. what I think what kept that episode from being transcendent in the way that so many other community episodes have been was that we, the, the emotional uh, uh, anchor didn't go, mm-hmm. go all the way to the ocean floor. <laughs> oh, and on the first day of shooting, on the, I walked onto the set the first day uh, and um uh, it was so amazing. They, it, they, they, the first day they were shooting that scene where the RV, uh, uh, the final scene where they, where they, they, they uh, drive onto campus and they, uh, they, they screech up to that uh, podium and they break all the, you know, they, uh, um, uh, and they get there just in time. And I, I was, so, and, and then the, the anus flag <laughs> is raised for the first time in Greendale history. And I remember it showing, and it was like a Monday morning, 7 a.m., and I was so proud of that flag. I loved it. I remember when we showed Dan that flag. Oh, flashing back to the breaking of the story when we, when we showed, when we told Dan about that. Uh, I don't remember who pitched it, uh, but we were looking for a reason why these guys were in trouble, why the dean was going to make them wash the mm-hmm. van. And I can't remember what the other pitches were, but when we said they they drew they drew the, <laughs> they entered the flag contest and accidentally <laughs> won with an anus. Dan, Dan heard that, and there was a silence for a, a, a long beat where we thought, like, oh, does he hate this? And then he said, well, I think if God hands you an anus flag, you have to fly it. <laughs> 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 and so I'm on set for that shoot day, 7 in the morning, and I, and I see the prop for the first time, and I, I snap a picture of it, and I was so thrilled. I, I texted it to Dan. I said, look at this. Look at what we're doing. And then he wrote back, that's not the flag I approved. <laughs> like he was pissed. And I, I was a huge panic. And I was like, whoa, whoa, uh, uh, oh, God, did I fuck up? Who fucked up? What's happening? It's 7 a.m. We're rolling in, in, in 45 minutes. I go to the prop person. 
And I say, Dan's now saying that he didn't approve this flag. It, 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 it had a gradient on it. His flag had a gradient on it. And this doesn't, uh, she's scrambling. And it was like, um, uh, Rhonda Robinson, are amazing. Everyone who worked, you know, on the crew is freaking amazing. And this is the kind of stuff that they had to deal with was Dan looking at a photo that I just texted him accidentally. He would have never seen it, but he said, that's not, that's actually not the flag. And I don't know if he was pissed or not, but he just said, that's not the flag. Uh, and we all were scared to displease him. You know, it was like, you know, on, on some other show, I could imagine the prop person would have said to the showrunner, uh, well, tough shit. Uh, this is what we got. Um, but not our prop person, you know, and not me. Um, uh, Rhonda said, I can get, like, she scrambled, called a, you know, this this had to be silk screened onto a, onto a flag. Um, she was, she said, I can get it here by 1 p.m., but we have to change the shooting schedule. And so we had to talk to the director. We had to, we had to, like, save that shot for later in the day because that was as soon as we could get that flag. Ugh. <laughs> uh, well, that was uh anthony russo directed that so uh, i'm sure there was a con- yeah, yeah, conversation yeah. for that uh for him wow. yeah yeah and anthony was great and that was the day i met chevy chase oh wow um i um uh he had a question i was just set. we were just setting up the chairs you know to the, uh, for, i was just i was just getting my shit together and i just arrived and chevy is up there talking to anthony he has a question and anthony says and he come here come here and uh I answered the question about the script and I didn't, I was so freaked out that I'm talking to Chevy chase. Um, then I haven't met him. And so that conversation ends. And then I, I follow Chevy and I say, Hey, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, I should have introduced myself, but, uh, in between the word, sorry. And the rest of it, I said, sorry. And he said, why? Cause the script sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the first thing chevy chase said uh, to me <laughs> uh, and then i uh because i have been as i said i've been wired for this and i'm a ba- pure beta male and i had an uncle who was very much like chevy i knew what you do in that situation is you laugh yeah uh and so I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, I'm sorry. I didn't introduce myself. I'm Andy. Uh, and then we were fine from yeah. then because uh, what Chevy does is he, he insults you playfully. And if you get hurt and often his insults fall flat because it's not playful. Yeah. It's, you know, it comes from a darker place. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but he insults you in, in a way that he thinks is playful. And if you take him seriously, then he's got your number and then he'll never stop. Mm. But if you laugh with him, then he think, then he goes, okay, this person is a fan. <laughs> oh, oh God. Yeah. I say it as if dealing with Chevy Chase is simple. It's not that simple. Yeah. It just, it, that was my method. So I've heard uh, mixology certification is one of your favorites. Is that true? I, um, yes. And I want to talk about it because I, um, we've talked about, now we've talked about my imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we've talked about, uh, um, and, uh, uh, also I, I wrote this, uh, medium post about that episode. Wait, was it that, was that the episode? I, I think it was. Yeah. The bar, the um, bar episode where I was sort of yeah. saying here. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I never, I don't remember any of the titles. Okay. Uh, so, so I want, I, I, uh, I want to actually address the fact that I, I get a lot of credit for that episode that I, I honestly don't deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm proud of it. 
I, I was there for it. I wrote a lot of it, <laughs> um, but I didn't like, for example, the, um, that was so that like many community episodes, we were the, you know, they were, Dan was rethinking the script as we were shooting it. And I was, so I was on set, you know, the writer of the draft will spend, will go to set for that week that they're shooting their episode. So I'm on set um, while they're shooting and there were scenes being rewritten without me uh, while I was working mm -hmm. on, while I was on set. And uh, one very, you know, the amazing linchpin of that episode, the scene in the hallway where uh, uh, Troy and Annie talk, uh, I, I, I didn't see those words until, uh, the, until <laughs> the morning they were shot. Uh, that was written without me. And it was Dan and Chris McKenna. And I don't know who else in a room late one night. I, I remember feeling kind of guilty, but, uh, we wrapped for the day and I went home at, you know, like 10 PM and there were writers still working on my script. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I thought, you know what, I, I've done this on other people's scripts. Yeah. It's not my job. I'm working on set this week. Uh, and I just, you know, it's like, plus, I, I mean, I did go up, I did go up to see where they were at. And, and then I, I sat there for like 15 minutes and I realized I don't know. Uh, I can't contribute anything right now. I'm this, uh, they've taken the scene in a, in a direction that they're all on the same page and I'm, and it would take me a while to catch up. Like, honestly, when I saw those pages, I was, I didn't quite understand the power of them. I, I mean, I looked at the pages and I, I went, Oh, okay. So they want to go sort of serious with this scene. Like I, <laughs> I don't think I, I can't remember. I think, I don't even know. I think in the original draft, there was not a scene between Troy and Annie. I think I was the way I was thinking of it as I wrote the draft was that it was a story between Troy and Jeff and it kind of, it kind of mm -hmm. is, I mean, it mainly yeah. is. And um, in the original draft, it, it is, um, because Troy becomes an adult and, you know, Jeff, Troy starts the episode with Jeff condescending to him, uh, and telling him, uh, this is how you, you're a man now. Uh, here's how I, I'll show you how to be yeah. a man. And by the end of it, it's clear that Troy is the man and, and, and Jeff is just a fucking drunk fool who's making out with Britta. Um, in front of Abed, uh, in front of Abed, um, and I mean, I did write the, I, I do, I do remember writing the bit where, where Troy says to Abed, uh, don't, don't be a tattletale. <laughs> no one likes a tattletale. <laughs> um, I mean, I was proud yeah. of that. Uh, at least I think I wrote that. Who knows anymore? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I may not have written that. Um, but I, at least I, I can say that I understood that dynamic. Mm -hmm. I understood that vibe. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what I did not understand and I didn't think there would be room for, I didn't see the need for uh, nor the possibility of a scene between Troy and Annie in that episode. Mm -hmm. And so God bless uh, the people who, mm. <laughs> who uh, created that scene. Cause it's amazing. Mm. And I remember when I looked at it, I was just like, I, um, okay. Uh, I, I think this is going to get cut because it doesn't further the story. Uh, but yeah, we'll shoot mm -hmm. it. Like I was completely out. I was, this is my confession. This is my mea culpa. I did not understand that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Um, How do you feel about it now? I, you know, uh, it's, uh, I, I now understand what the episode was, what the episode did, you know, from my first draft to the final draft, what the work that Dan did, I remember, here's the thing. I remember moping around, complaining to the other writers that whole week when, when we were rewriting it or when he started rewriting it, 
that I, you know, I'm working, you know, we're, we're, we're punching up this draft, but I just, I feel like Dan's taking all the jokes out. Mm. And I think this is, this episode's going to suck. I think people are going to watch it and they're going to be like, what is this? Like, I honestly had, I, I was scared for that episode. I, I had, this, mm. I had enough sense to know that usually when something scares you, there's, that means it, it's going to be good. Mm. Um, but I really was scared. And I now realize that what he was doing, he was taking the jokes out. And what, and by doing that, what he did was he, he made it, uh, he just made it a lot deeper. He, he had faith in the subtlety of the comedy in that episode. Uh, cause there wasn't much, uh, there, there, there were no hard laugh lines. You know, it didn't play, it didn't work like, uh, uh the Apollo 13 episode, yeah. you know, it didn't have setups and punchlines it had, uh, but it had funny, it had interesting, poignant, funny things happening. Yeah, there's Jeff kind of and, sadness and throughout. Britta's argument is freaking yeah. hilarious. <laughs> and I wish people could hear the ad lib. You know, they would go on and on and on. Like their instruction was just, we, we scripted what you heard, but then when they were in the background of other takes, they had to keep arguing. And their argument got so fucking ridiculous. I wish we could publish <laughs> like the B roll of that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so I, what, what Dan, I mean, I didn't realize, I, I missed the memo where Dan said, it's time, to, I, I believe we've earned enough goodwill from our fans to do a very uh, dramatic, uh, you know, just like a very small, quiet episode, uh, pensive, I mm -hmm. guess is a better mm -hmm. word for it. Sure. To, that we've earned enough, we've earned enough goodwill to do a pensive episode. And I, and it's like, if someone had said to me at the beginning, like Andy, we're, this one's going to be a pensive episode. I would have been, Oh, okay. Uh, that's great. I, I, I think I understand that. Uh, but I didn't know that. I thought we were writing, you know, in the first version, the name of the bar, you know, the, the bar was a joke of a bar. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a place called, it was like called chillers or something. It was called, uh, it was called like the, the slush bucket or something where their signature drink was a fucking bucket of, <laughs> of slush. And it was like, there was just, just a wackier, yeah. it was way wackier. Huh. So I'm so grateful that my name is associated with this work of art. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, how about pillows yeah. and blankets? That one, unlike mixology, uh, I was chosen. Uh, yeah, Dan, at the beginning of season three, that was season three, yeah. right? At the beginning of season three, Dan, by, by season three, Dan had figured out, Dan and the staff had figured out a, uh, a sort of a production trick, a production hack, which was because they got so over budget on their, on their paintball episode and on their big episodes that they would be forced to write cheaper episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by season three, he said, why don't we, for example, that bar, the bar uh, mixology was, we were able to shoot that in four days as opposed to five uh, because it was, the scenes were longer. Mm -hmm. There weren't any location, you know, it was just study room and bar. Yeah. And that bar was the set that bar set was already built for the, another Sony show called happy endings. Oh yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that bar already existed and we just, you know, Sony just did, you know, it didn't cost Sony any money. They just did a little accounting trick to bill, uh, you know, our show paid their show. So basically Sony paid Sony for the use of that set. Um, uh, and so that was a very cheap episode. And so by season three, Dan was saying, look, we want, we like to do these big budget episodes that take six or seven days to shoot, uh, that have a ton of locations and they're expensive. Uh, 
Um, and so we have to, we should purposely offset them with quicker, shorter episodes. Um, cause the studio is always up our ass about you're, you're overspending, you're overspending. I don't know if, if you want to get into the nuts and bolts of it, but when you, when you go into production on a show, the studio is getting paid by the network and they're being paid what's called a license fee. And that is meant to, you know, that's like per episode you're getting paid. The network is paying the studio, uh, you know, $2 million per episode. The studio has a budget per episode of maybe two of more than that, 2.2 to 2.5 million an episode. The studio is going into the, into debt to make the show because after it airs on broadcast television, the studio owns it and they can go sell it on cable. They can sell it internationally and make their money that way. And so, the budget of a show is sort of based on it's a somewhat arbitrary number, but it is the studio at the beginning of the run will say, we are going to allocate X number of dollars per episode. And in a logical world, you could turn to the studio and say, Hey, if we're making 22 episodes, why don't you just give us that huge pile of money and we'll spend it how we want. Uh, but it's, it's an illogical world where they say, you can only spend this much per episode. You can't go over budget or we'll yell at you. Um, but you end up doing at community. We ended up doing some horse trading where we would sit, where Dan would just say, fuck it. We're shooting seven days. We have to make this paintball episode look good or, or it's not going to be entertaining. Uh, and it's going to cost us the, the cost of uh, one and a half episodes to make this one. And so we will, and then they would yell at him and say, you're over budget for your over pattern, you're over pattern. And he would say, I'll do a cheap one. So mixology was a cheap one. And then, at the beginning of season three, he said, we're purposely, we're going to do, we're, Andy, we're going to do a, uh, a mockumentary. We're going to do your Ken Burns trick. Uh, and we're going to save a shitload of money on it. Um, <laughs> and I said, I know how to do that. I know that trick. I invented that trick. I didn't invent that trick. I did a very good did, example yeah. of that trick. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting that, you know, Megan's, uh, cooperative calligraphy and pillows and blankets, uh, both, you know, meant to save money, both, uh, uh, end up being, in my, my yeah. opinion, two of the best episodes of community. So very interesting. Of the many lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of the many lessons that I learned on that show that I take into other rooms with me now, there's a conventional wisdom. Uh, that pervades uh, writers' rooms. And, you know, one thing that you hear over and over again when you're breaking a story is like traditional sitcom writers will go like, well, um, it's, it's going to be boring if they, if they don't go anywhere. We got to, we got to set, we got to go to locations. We got to send them somewhere. You've got to use the world. Uh, or it's going to be boring. I don't know if I could, anyone's going to tolerate like a conversation between two people for, for, you know, 15 pages. Like we got to cut away to something. Yeah. We got to have a B story. And the, the, and I thought that way as well. That's just what comedy veterans tell you. And at community, uh, Dan had the courage to say, and I know he's probably not the first person to do this, but he saw examples, uh, this great British show space would do things like we did. We, we were influenced a lot by them, but yeah, Dan would say, uh, why, why do you have to cut away to something? I mean, is it hard to write an episode that takes place all in one room? Yes, it's harder. Uh, but does that mean it's worse? No, not if you do it right. Um, so yeah, yeah, these episodes and it, we ended up, you know, Megan and I both got the bug, like where we would, we would text each other after community, we work on other shows and I would text her and, and Andrew Guest and, uh, Hillary Winston, other people I had sort of grown up with on community. And I would say, oh, the 
people on this show are saying we need a B story. I miss community. I miss the days of no B story. You know, I miss the days of bottle episodes. Uh, and they would all agree. They would all go, yeah, like, the, oh, this other show doesn't get it. <laughs> you know, uh, they don't want to do it because uh, there's something to be said for not working until five in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's very rewarding when you do those, those hard episodes. But yeah, pillows and blankets. And I also want to clarify, you know, my, the first cut of pillows and blankets, I was like a pig in shit on set. Like I really, I, I, I knew exactly what I was doing and I was running around with a still photographer and I was like setting up shots. Like I felt like I was half a little bit, not to take anything away from um, uh, Tristram who directed the live action, who directed that episode, but uh, Tristram Shapiro, who's an amazing guy who I've abused we really get along and he's so nice. Like a director is not supposed to let a writer have as much input as Tristram gives me. And I've apologized to him. I, and I, I keep apologizing to him every time I see him. Like I, next time we work together, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to look over your shoulder because he's really, really good. He's gifted. Um, but I felt like I, I knew, like, I, I know how to, do, I know what, how, how big these stills have to be. Like I kept telling the photographer, you got to pull back because we're going to do pans and moves mm -hmm. on these pictures. Like don't, don't frame this how you would a good picture. Don't, don't frame this picture. How, if you were trying to make a good picture, <laughs> uh, you would be closer. You would put yeah. things in the two thirds. You know, you would follow the rule of thirds. You know, you got to get way back because we're going to do that work in the edit. Like I, I ended up having to do a lot of that stuff, but the, honestly, the first cut of that was also a disaster. Hmm. Um, how, how my so? script, uh, I, I was worried because I had written a, an 11 minute short that in the style of Ken Burns and it was very slow moving. And, and part of the delight of part of the reason it worked was how slow it was. And when Dan said, we're going to do this for, uh, on network television, I said, I worry, I do worry that in order to make it feel like Ken Burns, you have to go very, the narrator has to talk slowly and there have to be long pauses where all there is is music. And th there's just a vibe to it that I don't know if, we're going to be able to do in a 21 minute episode. And he said, we're just, do, we'll just do a little bit faster version of that. It's like, he had no worries mm -hmm. at all. Um, and so, but the script I wrote, I think it would have worked as a 60 minute script, but it was, I put too much in there or wait, let me, let me take a step back. Uh, I had a sense, I felt like I was the expert at this and I did have it. And I kept saying to everyone, we're overwriting. We're overwriting. These things are about silence. Um, and the script is too long and this narration should be half the length and this line should be half the length. Um, but he, we were writing it, you know, more like a TV script. And so when we got to shooting it, it uh, I think ended up being right. <laughs> um, uh, cause the first cut of it, um, I don't know. It just wasn't as punchy. There were some amazing things. <clears throat> I should, I should release, I should put out that draft. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I'm not sure what was in it either. Uh, I don't remember quite what was in it either, but, uh, but anyway, um, there was too much in it. And, um, I remember, uh, Chris McKenna did me such a favor. Uh, uh, Chris and Dan were looking at the, at the dailies and we were, we just finished like, that was one of the last ones we shot. And so we were, he was editing it after the writers ha uh, had gone home for the season. Um, and Chris and Dan like texted me and Chris like asking like 
did you get uh, did you get any photos like this or any photos like this? I sure wish we had a better shot of this. The shot in particular, the shot it was the shot of of Chevy as the snow yeah. monster, as the, yeah, the pillow monster. monster yeah. Dan was saying like, well, I I sure wish you had gotten. He was kind of sort of um, uh, chiding me, like saying I that I. Uh, I missed something because he was saying we don't have a good, we don't have a usable shot of this. Mm. Um, and I wrote back a very defensive text like to him and Chris. And I was like, you know, I didn't, I purposely didn't get it because it would never have been covered that. I mean, keep in mind that this is, a, you know, a, the documentarian would have used found stills and no one would have took, you know, in the moment as the monster was coming, that shot would have been blurry and no one would have gotten a good shot of him. And the documentary, you know, it's like it's this is it's like I wrote back a very cogent but very very like fucking weaselly defensive <laughs> defense of uh, of that shot that I didn't get. And then Chris wrote back and he said, "Hey, um, you should come edit it. Would you want to come help uh, edit it with Dan?" And I was like, "Oh my god, thank you so much!" So I went and worked with Dan for a week on the oh, editing wow. of it because that's where those things are built. Yeah. That's where it can, sure. you know, obviously. Um, and he did so much rewriting. It was a really fun week. We, uh, and I think it was somewhat collaborative, but it was once again, like me watching his genius, uh, the whole Leonard likes this post. That was like fucking Dan sitting on a couch in the edit bay, fixing the end of that, uh, of that act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a really great, I, cause I love him so much and it was just such a great moment. Uh, yeah, it's a great moment for me. Hmm. Oh God. Um, but yes, yes, I'm proud of pillow. Proud. I had more to do with pillows and blankets than I did with mixology. But as you can hear, so these are such so collaborative, yes. and they have so much of Dan in yeah. them. And you know, obviously, the elephant in the room is season four, um, where How, yeah. you got a pretty good, you got a pretty clear view of the kind of stuff uh, very talented people would do if they didn't have Dan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, how do you feel about season four at this point? Um, you know, you're talking to a, a, a fan of season four. Uh, I am actually. Uh, I, I think there's some really good episodes in the in season four. So, I, I was very yeah. It, it broke me. Like I was very embarrassed of it when it when it started airing. I I, I felt I felt terrible. I felt first of all like I had you know I felt like I had betrayed the show mm -hmm. and I. There were a lot of politics going into that yeah. season. Like Dan got fired and there were some writers who just said, I won't work. I can't work um, uh, on the show without Dan. Some, some writers sort of left saying, I won't do this. And I, the, uh, the, the studio put a lot of pressure on me, but you know, they had me under a contract, which I probably could have broken if I wanted to, but I, uh, I, I like to get along and I like to work for the people who pay me. And I was just like, and my agent was saying, um, this will be a big year for you. Uh, they need you. And it was, he was right. It's the year where I sort of learned how to, how to run a room. It set me up for the next phase of my career, which was like show running and, and, you know, being more higher yeah. up. But, uh, I was, you know, I also was out of my depth that year. And I felt like for most of the season, I was, I really felt like, um, Oh, I think we're screwing up. I think we're screwing up. <clears throat> The irony, I think, is when I when I look at the well, the ones that worked and the ones that didn't that year, uh, the ones that 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 didn't work as well were the ones where we were trying harder to be like community. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, and the ones that worked better were, were the ones where we just let the show, we, where we just listened to the new writers um, and where we just sort of let people find their, their tone to, to find a, a new tone for the show. Huh. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah it's one yeah. of my favorites is the, her story of dance, which is a uh, Jack. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I was worried about that episode. Uh, I, I was like, I, I think we're overthinking it. I think we're, uh, I didn't know that I, I didn't trust that people would follow that there's two different dances. Mm. I thought like, does it, does it have to be two dances? Why can't Abed just have two girls at one dance? Yeah, yeah. no, I, it was yeah. like, uh, and, and I, that may have been right. I don't know, but for, for sure what it was wrong about that was it was a detail that didn't, that doesn't bump anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. And, I mean, yeah, where we just let it be, we, we didn't push it too mm-hmm. far. We just let mm-hmm. it be, we just had fun. Yeah. I mean, an intro to knots is uh, your, one of your episodes. I actually, uh, Malcolm McDowell makes a great kind of likable villain in that episode. <laughs> uh, re- oh God. I t- thank you for saying yeah. that. I mean, intro to knots was, see, that's an example where I think we were, I was trying, we thought we had, we were going to do something so clever. Initially we were going to do it all in one continuous take, mm. uh, like the movie rope, okay. the okay. Uh, Hitchcock movie rope. Um, and that's why the opening, you know, what we ended up settling on because it was just physically impossible to do that, but we did shoot the cold open in one take. Uh, and that's why it looks different. Mm. It bumped a lot of people when it aired, they were like, why does this feel like a fucking live <laughs> Hallmark special. Because <laughs> um, uh, it, it, it had a different vibe to it. Go go back yeah, and watch well, the cold yeah. open of uh, Intro to Nuts. It's one continuous take. And we had people, like, honestly, in order to get the camera around the apartment, we had people who had to, like, rush in and silently move couches in and out of the way so that you could see them in one mm-hmm. shot and then the cameraman could could walk across them in another shot. It was really hard to do, and the, and the actors had to have the whole three minute chunk memorized. And I mean, it was a real technical accomplishment, but when I, when I look back on it, I'm like, why, why did we go to that trouble? It, uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't need to. Uh, and we thought, I I thought we were, I, that was one of those moments where I thought, Oh, the fans are going to be so impressed by this. Uh, And I was, I was focusing on the wrong detail. Yeah, but I don't think like you're trying to be community in that one. I mean, it's not like you're trying to force force something on us. That's you true. Know? That's true. We were just trying to tell a yeah. story. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's why that one works for me as well. So, and Malcolm McDowell is it does really carry that yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm McDowell is yeah. great. Awesome. Uh, we had to scramble. You know, that was one where we we lost we lost Chevy Chase right before. You know, Chevy was going to do be there and Chang wasn't. Uh, uh-huh. We had to we had to flop we had to flip out uh, f- uh, trade in that other character, uh, so we had to scramble to rewrite it. Luckily, I mean both of those characters are kind of agents of chaos, <laughs> yeah. um, and so it wasn't it, w- it was not at all unbelievable that Chang would do this. But in the original draft, it was mm-hmm. it was Pierce who uh, who tied up the teacher. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I think <laughs> it makes it made sense with uh, with Chang, you know, doing his Changnesia thing. So it makes yeah. It, yeah, it makes great yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I had a harder time adjusting to it emotionally than than the script did. The script was great. I mean, or, or the, you know, and Ken's performance was was fantastic. I just got to meet him and talk with him on Friday. He was such a nice guy. What a what a cool guy. Greatest yeah. guy. Yeah. 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 Just once again, another like solid people pleaser. Yeah, we we are cut from the same cloth. 
we, you know, it's just people who, who could, yeah, yeah. He's, he's amazing with all as talented as he is. And as much as he's done, like the fact that he still cares what people think of him is just insane. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to know just like then, you know, who are your favorite characters to write for? What's so funny is it's sort of a, a joke among sitcom writers that when you tell people you write a sitcom, some people will go, uh, often people will go, Oh, who do you write for? Uh, yeah. uh, what, what character do you, write? uh, cause it's kind of a, an assumption that, um, you sit around and one person does one mm-hmm. person's voice and another person does another, which is not how it's done. But, but then again, at community, um, the character that I found that I, that was for, for whatever twisted reason was my spirit animal was Pierce Hawthorne. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I mean, I loved writing for all of the, the, I mean, one of the, one amazing thing about community that any comedy writer, like it, so many comedy writers would look good if they could write for community because every one of those characters was so well-defined and every one of those actors was such a, was, was so adept at delivering uh, the material it was like typically on a sh- uh, you know on a sitcom you have like if you get if you get sitcom writers a little drunk and you say who's who's not funny on your show they'll tell you they'll say like well you know we we avoid giving jokes to this actor or we or you know the per- when we really need to get out of a, out of a, a rut we'll focus on this character or when we you know it's like if we're in a scene and something funny needs to happen this person can enter it's like typically on a sitcom there are go to uh, joke characters. And then there are other, you know, characters who you count on for texture or, or for mm-hmm. depth, you know, I mean, the older, the older sort of model, like the Barney Miller model is just like the, or the mash model is that you're going to get, I don't know if mash quite that basically the, the star of the show is not, is not the comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, the central character is deeper and the, and the others are more surfacey and they, and they're the ones who make you laugh, but on community, they were all deep and they were all hilarious. Um, but that said, so I, I enjoyed, it was very quick to pick up on how do you write a Troy joke and how do you write, you know, what kind of, what, what kind of games does Abed play and what kind of games, you know, how can you get a laugh from, from, um, Annie or, or, um, uh, uh or Chang or, or Shirley. I mean, the one character in the cast who was sort of a, took a longer time for the writers to get to was Britta. Hmm. Uh, cause she was kind of just like a straight man for, uh, she was just an object of Jeff's desire, yeah. which is a shitty thing to do to a, uh, an actress. Um, but, uh, uh, so uh, Gillian was so, uh, was, was so committed and she's so fearless. And, um, I don't know if she had done much comedy before that, but the thing that she, the gift that she has is that she'll fucking like, she doesn't care how she looks. Uh, she'll do anything. And once we figured that out, we just, then we, then it became easy to write for Britta as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the character whose jokes I could always ad lib in the room was Pierce. Interesting. Did you? Yeah. I, yeah. Probably cause I'm just a freaking old, <laughs> old, bitter, racist man. I'm just an old, angry white guy. Are, are, so are I get all? it. Pierce Hawthorne. um he has a really special moment with britta though in in the her story of dance um with uh you know he protects her and um defends her at least yeah Um, that's one of the reasons i really like that episode and i really like you know like all of like this comes out of nowhere it's like he has this moment which he doesn't really show a whole lot in other other places so 
Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I think, and that was a rare pairing. Like I think they did a, didn't they have a moment in season one uh, uh, with the, the, wait, who did he write the, the jingle with? That was Annie, right? Yeah. That was Annie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Um, no, he's pretty much yeah, anti Britta for, for a long time, you know? Yeah. 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 So that stuff. was a good accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a good accomplishment for season four. Like we found a pairing that hadn't been exploited too mm-hmm. much. And, and the, uh, the this is the thing the magic of that show and the magic of Harmontown is that each of the and and of a writing rule that I've taken with me into other jobs now because it's so potent is that if your character it doesn't matter like if you have characters who hate each other uh, make sure that they both feel alienated in some way uh, because then at some point in your series they will have a moment they can have you know it's as long as you know, like how they always say the every villain is is the hero of his own story. But in in this comedy world, in the in the world of community, a lesson I learned is that if everyone is feels sort of like an orphan, like you and me, uh, uh, sort of left yeah. left out of something, yeah. or or left behind in some way, then they then it doesn't matter how mean he was to her. Like he can always buy, he can always sit with her, and it'll always make sense because you know, uh, you know, as much as you hate Pierce Hawthorne, you know that he feels lonely mm-hmm. and left out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of like magic. It's just a magic trick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like Will Forte on, on, uh, uh last man on earth. I mean, he's absolutely so isolating. He's, he's isolated. And then when he actually meets people, he just continues to isolate himself from those relationships. Yes. yes. Character with no social skills, who's pure id, who only wants to fuck, <laughs> who, like and the yeah the magic trick that we could play with Will Forte first of all he's he's so empathetic like he oozes yeah. empathy uh, at least for people who like him I know there are people who do, who don't see it but whatever I see it but the so. magic trick we could play on that show was uh, just the sad music like we could just like at any moment because of the rules of the show you could do a slow pan you could slow do a slow push into Will's eyes and play sad music mm-hmm. and it would be like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, didn't matter how much of an asshole he was being. It's like, well, what are you going to, what are you going to blame him for? Everyone died. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's great. Great show. Um, Hey, yeah. do you want to talk about, um, bless the hearts real quick? Do you want to? Oh my God. Yes. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Quick plug. Yeah. Um, uh, Emily, okay, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You got questions? Oh, yeah. I got, I, I was, I came prepared. I just, I felt like we were, uh, this is part of the, this yeah. isn't the second half of the two parter. So, uh, I talked to, uh, Megan mm-hmm. about Mythic, Mythic Quest, which I really, really liked. Um, thought it, uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, I, I found myself really smiling a lot when I watched, uh, Bless the Hearts. I was just like, oh, this is really charming. And then you'd have some really <laughs> funny moments. And I was like, oh, this is really a, a funny, sweet show. So I, I really liked it. Um, and, oh, yeah. Bless yeah, you. yeah, no. I, Bless your heart. Uh, thanks. In the best way, right? Um, in the yeah. best way, not in the sarcastic <laughs> right. way. Um, you know, but what's, so what was it like transitioning from, you know, you, so you had your season four. Obviously, you went on to uh, Last Man on Earth in between this. And then, you know, what, what is it like you're, you know, basically co-producing or co, uh, I'll strike that, co-show running this, this uh, show? What is that like compared to your current, ex- the previous experiences? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, the last man on earth was a big break for me. And just as my agent had predicted, like he said, season four of community is going to be an important year for your career. Cause you're going to learn, 
you're going to be trusted. You're going to be senior and it's going to transition you. And he was right. Uh, because the next thing that happened was, uh, I went back to season five of community. Um, uh, and, um, uh, but then the next thing that happened was, uh, so that ended, I had, uh, uh, worked on another Sony. Show. Sony put me on a nice uh, contract, a, a, a sort of golden handcuffs thing called a development deal, where they were allowed to. You know, they were paying me a yearly salary, and they. But uh, the, in exchange for that, I had I developed for uh, you know tried to develop pilots for them, and they put me on the show, very short lived show, kind of a disaster of a show called Save Me, starring Anne Hayes, yep. where it's about a woman who ha- has the voice of God in her mm-hmm. head, where she thinks God's talking mm-hmm. to her. And I loved the idea of that show. It, 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 the, the reasons why that show didn't work, I think, were, uh, had nothing to do with um, the idea or, the, or the, the acting or, or the writing. I think, that, I don't know, the writing was okay. It was a chaotic uh, situation in a, in a, and not the kind of chaos that paid dividends like, like community. But anyway, that ends and I go to talk, ask my agent what's happening am I done? Have I aged out? Will I never work again? Uh, what's the story with my career? And he said, well, your buddy, Will Forte just sold this thing to Fox. Uh, and so once again, the luck of Andy Bobro is that the connections I made along the way have always saved me. Uh, and so, you know, I hadn't talked to Will in a long time. He got me my agent, which got me my career. Uh, but you know, he had gone to New York and we weren't actually close friends or anything. We just sort of liked each other. And so I, and I said to Matt, it's his, I, I think I have an old email for him. Like uh, it's gotta be an old email. Cause it says earthlink.net. <laughs> and Matt said, no, that's still his email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> so I emailed Will and I said, Hey, Matt says, um, you sold the show and, uh, uh, he slipped me the script and I, I love it. It's amazing. And I, I just want you to know, I mean like no pressure or anything, but I'm such a fan of yours and I'm available. And, God, I would, I would love to help out in any way. And he said, uh, let's have breakfast. And, uh, he, he, he still liked me. We, you know, he still had fond memories of me. And so we, we reconnected over breakfast and he said, he, I mean, easiest interview ever. He said, if, if you want to do this, uh, uh, I want you. And I said, yeah, why would I not want to do yeah. this? It's a, the most unique pilot I've seen in, ever. Um, uh, and so, and I, I was sort of, I was, he said, I'm, I'm going to run, you know, I, the deal was that Matt, uh, that, uh, Will was very hands-on and Will, you know, Will really, really scrutinized every one of those scripts, but he needed someone. He said, I want you to be sort of like the number two, like the person who deals with the studio and, and handles all the crap that I don't want to do. And I said, that's, I'm Raider O'Reilly. That's exactly <laughs> who I am. That's how I'm wired. I'm a beta male. You don't get it, man. <laughs> I, I was made, I was created in a lab to do this. Uh, and so, but then it grew from there. Like uh, in season two, like he elevated me, he gave me a nice title and I became, he called me an executive producer, even though our roles stayed kind of the same. But I, so I got a taste of, of running a show there or running a room, you know, keeping the trains rolling, keeping the scripts going, even though Will was the, was the honest to God creative force behind uh, all those scripts. We, we were, our job as writers was to, Similar to Dan Harmon, our job as writers was to make sure Will got what he wanted, you know, to give him the raw material that he could mold into what he wanted. Um, and then that ended, and I did a season on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Okay, yeah, uh, we parted. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, t- uh, t- I left last May. I wasn't on there for that fourth season. Uh, uh, and then um, 
I met Dan Gore, who was another client of the same agent. So once again, connections work. Um, Dan and I hit it off. Dan uh, had worked with Emily Spivey, who was um, uh, on Parks and Recreation. Um, he asked her about me. She said, you'll love him. Uh, she, she played matchmaker. I did a, I had an amazing year on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I reconnected with Andrew Guest that year. Okay. He was there. I was going to ask if he was still there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was a great reunion. And um, another guy, Matt Lawton, who had worked on season six of Community, but I didn't, I hadn't worked with him, but we got to trade Harmon stories, <laughs> which was fun. And then, um, uh, and, and Carol Kolb. Uh, who I had worked with on season uh, five yeah. of community. So it was great synergy. Anyway, that ends. Uh, uh, I get, Oh, I got a call from Dan saying we, we, Hey, good news. We got it. Oh, sorry. Bad news. We're canceled. And then good news. We're picked up. And then it was like, Andy, like it was, this, it was like the hardest call. He was like, they're telling us we have to trim the budget. And this is like, you know, you're kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I know. Yeah. I know that's why I ask my agent every year, are they, am I done working? Because I know that there are people who are cheaper than me who can do it just as well. Um, but he, uh, so I left Brooklyn nine, nine. I worked briefly on another really cool show that didn't catch on called, uh, I feel bad. Okay. Um, uh, the showrunner was named Asim Batra. We hit it off like old friends in our meeting and we did 13 episodes and then, as that was winding up, I get a text from Emily Spivey, who I'd worked with at Last Man, who you know, who had met at the Groundlings 20 sure. years ago, and who I had reconnected with at Last Man. And she said, I think my my cartoon show, I think my animated show is gonna get made at Fox. And if it does, I want you to run it with mm-hmm. me. And I said, I I'll move, you know, I'll do whatever I can. Uh, and I had and I s- sent an email to uh, my agent saying, you know, um, uh, Emily and Emily Spivey and I have a special arrangement, a special relationship, just like England and the United States have. Um, and I have promised her that I will always work on whatever she wants to do and vice versa. So, um, can you help me weasel out of, um, this, um, uh, I feel bad show so that I can go start on Emily's <laughs> show. And he did, I, I skipped those final episode mm-hmm. of, I feel bad and, and I feel bad about that. And I love that staff. Yeah. That was an amazing staff. I love all those people, but, um, yeah. So then I went to work on this animated mm-hmm. show and it's been great because I get along great with Emily. We, we write, we have the same sensibility. We, we always wrote sketches together 20 years ago at the groundlings. We were, uh, we had good, good, good creative energy together. And so we picked up where we left off. And um, the only learning curve really was uh, learning to do animation, l- learning to write for animation. It's a, it's a trickier, it's a little, it's a different beast. But now you're doing voices, um, right? You- and yes, he's got me doing a, <laughs> one voice on the show, which is this character named Bud who owns a strip yeah. club. And he's basically, he's the character that I hear in my head when I would write for Chevy, for, for Pierce Hawthorne. <laughs> he's awesome. just another old kind of racist, very <laughs> sexist white man. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so the learning curve has been on the workflow of, of animation. And I think if you liked uh, anything about season one of Bless mm-hmm. the Hearts, you're going to like season two even more because we there were a lot of things that held us back. Uh, technically... We really didn't, we weren't able to make those episodes as polished as we wished. Uh, I, uh, they worked, and I'm very proud of them, some of them more than others. I think, like, if the, the Bless the Hearts episode 
that I love that I, I'm most proud of is the this uh, Black Friday episode that we did, where they do where they flash back and they tell the story of how they met, um, and that to me has like the the balance of of humor and heart that the, I think the show um, really can deliver. So if you haven't watched that one, go back and nice. watch that one, and 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 get ready for season two in the fall because we're we're ha- we're almost done writing it. And these episodes are, are, I'm really, really proud of That's them. Great. We're doing, I think we're doing a good job. That's great. Famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> well, bless the hearts returns to Fox in the fall. And I recommend this funny, sweet show. It's really, really great. So I think with, uh, with that, Andy Bobro, uh, thanks for being on six seasons and a podcast. Oh my God, Alex, thank you so much for letting me talk for so long. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, community fans, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, consider backing me on Patreon and becoming a patron uh, for as little as two bucks a month. It is really helpful for me uh, to keep things going and uh, keep the podcast moving forward. Thanks. Bye-bye.